I am sitting with Fran Jakowicz on the law from Toronto in 1999 in Ramad Bechemish in the offices of Sunhouse Media. She is the founder and CEO of this leading digital media company. Thank you so much for spending time with me. It's really my pleasure, Alex. So can you share with me just a little bit of what makes this company different? Absolutely. Um, first of all, we are a full-service digital marketing agency. Um, but um, what differentiates us is an expertise that we have in the lead generation space. Um, our focus is generating qualified leads for companies across three continents um, and helping to support activities for our clients through our lead gen activities and also through you know, regular digital marketing activities as well. So we work with companies in Canada, the U.S., and in Israel, in France, across, uh, you know, across the EU and the U.K., um, many are in the tech space, we have big brands, we have startups, um, yeah, and we're really passionate about supporting our clients. So it sounds like from what we spoke about before we started the recording, you kind of grew up in the PR marketing world. Yep. So can you share a few words about your dad and what you saw growing up? Absolutely. I, it was uh, an honor to work with my father. Uh, he had a PR firm in Toronto, Canada called The Work in Communications, DCI. Um, and I came in as a high school student um, to help him. And literally, as a 16-year-old, I was using a typewriter. Can you imagine how long ago that was? Wow. To pound out press releases and to coordinate uh, PR events um, and government relations events. I, I think typewriters have actually make a big comeback right now. <laughs> so it? we don't know. We don't know. In San Francisco, people have some typewriters which are connected to, like, Wi-Fi. So you... So the typewriter goes into Word file somewhere, but you don't get distracted. So I'm well, sure that was what we're talking about. Oh, exactly. That's exactly See, not what we're talking about. But, but yeah, but there's something very actually marvelous about using uh, a typewriter. But that's a long time ago, and we're, we're far beyond that. But, yeah, my dad created a real passion for me um, in, you know, being able to use marketing and PR uh, as a means of helping companies to, you know, dominate and to reach goals and, you know, it taught me a lot of skills that I use today in my own business, but the biggest skill base I got from my dad was actually about how I treat my, my own employees because he was a real mensch um, and he knew that um, the, at the core of his success were the people that worked for him and he treated them like family with a lot of kindness and uh, it was amazing to see and it was an inspiration and it has, and I try to, you know, you know, work like my dad worked and to try and be a nice, you know, fair and kind person in my office environment with my staff and colleagues. Is, is there a story that comes to your mind as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old that you like, you, that points out to what you're saying about creating an environment that's healthy for your employees? Well, again, my dad took a real personal interest in his employees and, um, you know, for better, for worse, I remember... You know, um, one of his staff people actually having a very serious personal crisis and how he, my father, really got involved in helping to, um, you know, go to a hospital setting to help support that individual. Wow. And like he really went above and beyond a job description as the boss and really went to help, you know, that individual to help rehabilitate that individual and get them back up to, you know, a healthy space. I remember, um, uh, you know, one of my dad's employees losing a family member and the way in which he interacted with that person to really go beyond that business relationship, um, you know, as long as the employee was comfortable with it, of course, 
to, you know, be there in a much bigger, more meaningful way than typically one sees. So it was very, it was very touching and it was really drove home like a much larger message for me about how one should treat people, not just in their own personal lives, um, but in business too. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution, a little bit about from that typewriter to what's happening, the trend that's happening in 2019 right now in Israel and, and the worldwide? Because again, you're based in Israel, but your clients are worldwide. Oh, how, how is PR and marketing, how is things, what's the evolution? Where do you see the trend going and why are you specializing where you're specializing? Right, great question. So first of all, why do I, I'm very, very passionate about digital marketing specifically because it's all trackable. You know, PR is great, and I, I introduce it to my clients. I think it's an extremely important and valuable um, marketing tool. Can you, for the, for just, just if you just back up for one second, you know, somebody told me um, that, uh, like, they, they said this line, you know, oh, I just send this person, uh, like, an electronic uh, letter. Oh, it's like, oh, it's like an email. So what's, so can you explain a little bit just what's traditional PR, just for one second, just sure. understand, as comparable to... Uh, digital marketing. Sure. So PR um, can be many things, but classically, it's about uh, getting your story into the media outlets that are going to be important to your audience. So, you know, if you're in the fashion space, you want to make sure that your story gets into Vogue magazine or, you know, Glamour magazine. And if you're, you know, in um, the tech space, you want to make sure your story gets in tech-related um, magazines. That's one piece of PR. Um, it could also mean, um, and this is where there's an overlap, but it could mean uh, engaging with influencers and bloggers and working with them to ensure that your brand gets mentioned on uh, influencer and blogger sites. It could be much more government relations related, but it's more quote unquote ground marketing. It's about getting your, your brand into print media or even the digitalized versions of those print mediums. Okay. Digital marketing is about, um, is a, is a, a much sort of more global fish um, where you are going out and accessing the people who you're aggressively reaching out to those audiences, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, uh, through Google, through uh, a whole host of uh, channels um, with a message, and you're enticing them to come back and visit your website or to come visit your landing page or to click the call. So, but you asked me something really interesting and that's like, what's happening in 2019? So actually even the digital landscape has gone through a complete metamorphosis because we now are dealing with artificial intelligence, AI, and um, some new technologies like chatbots and, um, and uh, Facebook messaging and the ability to leverage, you know, WhatsApp and other messaging um, platforms to share messages. So this is actually totally transforming the digital marketing space right now because you can actually have real conversations with people in the mediums that they want most, which is chat. People love chatting. Um, and this is great both for B2B and B2C. And this is totally, you know, blowing away any of the marketing strategies we use until now. Like things are really dramatically Isn't changing. chat only going to happen when you bring somebody to your sites? Uh, no, not at all. Like there's Facebook Messenger chat, right? So using... Facebook Messenger has some very, very sophisticated ad types. Um, using Actually, in 2019, they launched a new ad type called Messenger Lead Ads. Um, and, um, you know, through Facebook's amazing, amazing AI, 
they can actually identify users who will be happy to engage through chat and will will provide a lead through a chat process. But it is, so we just get that deep in this for one second. So when I see my message or an ad, it just seems like a static, kind of almost like a banner ad as I'm scrolling down on my message. If you were to click through, well, it depends on how good or how bad the marketing agency is that's generating those ads, but like, you can have an amazing conversation in Facebook Messenger. It's all it's all a bot. It's all automated. It's all it's rarely is it a real person behind it, but it's intelligent, and it asks users very very specific questions to make sure that they get very custom information, the information they need to make a decision. Um, you know, if you're looking for office space in New York City, for example, okay. Um, you might be looking for, you know, one desk or you might be looking for um, an office space for 20 people. So a smart bot will um, create filtered questions to find out what the user is specifically looking for. And based on their response, will then say, oh, great, you're looking for a six to 10 person office space. So here's a great option for you. Um, let's set up a meeting. You know, when, when are you available? Let's capture your phone number. Let's capture your name. But in a, in a way, all on your phone. Um, super comfortable in a, in a natural with using natural language, um, and it's really interesting because it um, has a lot less uh, friction than uh, you know a lead generation form. Like traditionally, you know, you take users to a landing page and they fill mm -hmm. out a form, right? But it's very it's very um, structured, and there's very little flexibility, and there's very little customization. And even if you try to be more custom, then you're dealing with long, clunky uh, forms that are going to people are going to drop off on and won't be as effective in filling out. Mm -hmm. I'm getting really technical. Oh, no, you're totally, this is okay. actually, this, this is great. This, okay. is a, this is really great because I think that's one of the things that it's really important for people to understand. We're, we're talking about with an expert here in the field, right? That's where we're really, that's one of the things that I'm trying to do is just open up a window into individuals who have been successful in whatever field that they're in. And again, um, in your space, you're really at the forefront of these, of these conversations about what actually works, how to leverage what really works. So I appreciate you deep diving with me with this, uh, with this conversation. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. I could it. really go on and on about this forever and you'd be sick of me. I do want to mention one last really cool thing and yeah, then we'll no. totally move subjects. Great. I'm actually thinking with a company now that does uh, voice, voice technology. So it's the same bot, it's the same messaging bot, but instead of uh, just chatting in a written message, actually there's a voice attached to the messaging and it's brings it to a whole new level of personalization and it's really mind-blowing and all of this stuff is coming out in 2020 and as much as we've gone through a total change in the marketing sphere in 2018 and 19, 2020 is going to be crazy. Can't and, wait. Uh, and I think we, we mentioned that I'm, I'm applying for these SDR positions which is a lot of uh, prospecting and calling on the phone and then I, I saw... Um, uh, a presentation, I think already a year and a half ago, from Google CEO with Google Assistant, where it's basically just he's literally booking a, an appointment for my hair salon, without in, in total in total conversation with the same emotion notes in the conversation you would imagine. So we are we're going to see a tremendous change in, in in how jobs are going to look in every industry, including. So if we would just back up a little bit, you know, you are from Toronto, which is the golden country. Uh, it is beautiful. There is uh, a strong Jewish community. There is, uh, uh, you know, the joke is it is the friendliest state of the United States of America. That's what we 
joke in America. But it's a great, it's a great environment. Why pick up your family and, and move to in 1999 before the 2K bug? Why, why are you moving in such uncertainty to a land like Israel? Right. So you you only make a move like that if you're crazy, or if you're idealistic. Right. Um, and um, we were idealistic. And I have to say, honestly, at the beginning, it was very much my husband's dream. He had worked in Israel for a year as a student, and he had fallen in love with the country. I had visited as a teenager and loved it, but not at the same level as my husband. But he just, his heart was never in Toronto, was always in Israel. And he deserved to have a chance to try it out to see if he could succeed. And I was willing to take that risk with him. Of course, we had a deal. You know, a lot of couples do. We'll try it out for a year. If it doesn't work, we get to go home. Um, so we made that deal. Yeah. And um, 20 years later, the deal is still later, happening. Yeah. And, and now it's my ideal because um, this country is absolutely amazing. Um, um, I'm speaking as a Jewish person, but I'm also speaking just as a, um, you know, as a, as a person who is blown away by a country transforming and growing in front of my eyes. We, even within this 20 year period, yeah. the amazing transformation that has occurred literally in front of my eyes has been so inspiring. And I'm inspired by all the people in this country. And despite all the challenges, um, the complexities, there's so much beauty here, and really you do feel like you're with family, and there's something so unique and special about life here. Can, can you talk about just maybe two examples of those changes? Because one of the things that's interesting to us is to highlight Olim who have come in different stages. stages. I mean, 1999, what are some of the challenges? So one of some of the positive changes you've seen over 20 years um, um, that, that, that's highlighted, you know, just maybe as a business owner or as a just individual? So if I, I guess as an individual, I can say there's a lot more support today than there ever was. When back in the day in uh, 1999, uh, there was no Nefesh Benefesh. There was AACI, which was a little organization working super, super hard to support Olim, but you know didn't have a lot of funding, and um, so they could only do as much as they were able to do. So often you were very much left to your own devices, and it was really hard. You know, you didn't have that support network in place. Fortunately for me, honestly, I would say the reason I'm still here today, because that first year was a year from hell, actually, um, was the amazing support of my neighbors in this community, because Ramat Beit Shemesh is very unique. It's made up mostly of Anglos who have come from North America and also, you know, the UK. And we we were each other's support network. Um now, today, things are far more sophisticated, far better, both in terms of support received for Olim, but also the banks are more, are set up for Olim. In, in the old days, you know, if you were American, good luck to you if you wanted to, you know, if you couldn't really speak the language in your first year, you were really in trouble. Today, banks make sure that they have Anglos in, in their uh, branches because it's a smart business, you know, and Obviously, people do integrate to the best of their abilities, but you know the system is there now to embrace new Olim in a much more um, you know helpful way than before. So I see that it's a much softer land landing today than it used to be. Amazing. Now we we spoke a little bit before about just learning from failure, right, and, and growing from failure. If you can talk a little bit to that, because again, um, you know you've been you started this company ten years ago. 
but you've been inside the space for, you know, like since you were like a baby. Um, you know, what are some of the, the things that at that time seemed like tremendous challenges and, and difficulties you faced? And then how did that inform you about starting your own business as well? Well, really, that was just one of those situations where I felt like, you know, God had a hand in this, you know, or at least a really good sense of humor. Um, in 2008, okay, right before I began my business, uh, my husband was working for Amdocs, mm -hmm. which is a large tech company, and I was working for a large nonprofit as their director of marketing. Um, and, of course, the market crashed. Yeah. And on the same day, two hours apart, we both got fired. Wow. So if at the time I felt like a complete failure, that I was failing my family and my husband and I, I think we both shared the same feeling of, oh, my gosh, we're, we failed. How are we going to pay our bills? And how are we going to support our children? And what are we going to do? Like that moment of panic. It felt like failure at the time. But what I learned from that moment was that um, it was a blessing in disguise um, because what happened next was that, I guess, people heard that I was now, you know, freelancing and my phone started to ring and um, my husband and I like got really busy with all the requests for marketing uh, services that were coming in. And, we realized that we had a business opportunity in front of us, and I would never have had the guts to open my own business if it wasn't for that set of circumstances, because I'm a very conservative person by nature. I like to know that I have money in the bank coming in every month from, from somewhere, right? It felt very comfortable, and I, it was hard to go out of something so uncomfortable and, and start on my own, um, but we did. We did start on, we were so busy, within those first three weeks, we just jumped right in and we began what is now Sunhouse Marketing. So it was, I felt like failure at the time, but it ended up being the biz, biggest success. Wow. Yeah, it really is wow. I think about it, I'm still like so grateful. Amazing. I, I remember I actually sent a letter to my boss who fired me initially, which led me to starting my own business, uh, thanking him <laughs> at a certain point. Exactly. So it's, uh, which didn't feel like, uh, didn't feel like that at the moment, but of course it does lead to this, uh, to a sense of, uh, uh, the next stage. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is to highlight is when the come here, obviously I see, I, I encourage and I see a lot of people, they, first they should start being in a, you know, they need security, right? They need the basic the job, a home, right? To get set up. How do we leverage or learn from the place that we're working at, right? And build up a reputation so that will allow us to start our own business eventually. What are the ways that you'd encourage a person who say, I know I want to have a business, I know I want to start a business, but how do I leverage being at work to be able to learn how to start that business? Do you have any advice to that? Because that seems like that's kind of what happened in a certain way for you because you were building a, building a, a you know, tremendously successful in this nonprofit and people knew you for those skills. And then when, you just, when time came, okay, people started coming. Right. Um, I gained a certain level of confidence working for others. Um, when I knew I had a good skill set in place that I could translate into other environments. I'm not sure if that's what you mean. Mm -hmm. So that when I when I was sort of left there out on my own, I knew, hey, I have something that will differentiate me and that will be unique and that I can offer up um, on some level to you know some poor sucker uh, who's willing to to work with me. You know, at least at the beginning. You know, you you know there is a there there is a time of great uncertainty and insecurity when you first begin yeah. to be real. So like I almost felt like those first clients were like guinea pigs. You know, like wow, you're paying me to like, you know, test market all my great creative ideas. 
But um, thankfully, I had enough background experience. You know, as I mentioned, I grew up in PR and marketing. I lived and breathed for 10, 15 years prior to uh, my own company. So I really did have those skills in place. And so I was able to run with it. But, you know, those first months of starting a new business were very, um, you know, scary. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think you answered it perfectly. Self-awareness, right? That seems to be one of the key elements of becoming a great entrepreneur and just in general be successful. Immediately from you, I get the sense of you're a person who both has appreciation for the past, but also has a really, has has that pulse on the future. Like whatever, 2020 is going to look very different 2019 and 2019 looked very different from 19, you know, 85, right? So what kind of quality did you find out about yourself, which said that's my superpower? How did you get that self-awareness? Um... Well, self-awareness is a combination of many characteristics. One of them is curiosity, um, but the other is life experience, too. You know, like, I think it's a combination of many things. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that in a meaningful way, but I'm sorry. Uh, But um, I think curiosity is a very big component there. And how do you keep your curiosity through the process? I'm just curious. Well, I love technology. I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about what I do. So I'm always looking to find out what's next, what's next, what can I leverage, how am I going to be, how am I going to differentiate myself um, and my clients, um, you know, out there in the digital world. And so I'm always looking for like the next coolest thing, and then I get to beta test it. You know, we we are Google, we have Google partners, and we have a good relationship with Facebook, and we're out there, and people allow us to A/B test technologies, and some of my clients knowingly, I don't do it unknowingly, knowingly allow me to test these things because often uh, ends up being awesome for them because you want to be, you know, you don't want to just nurture a lead and, you know, take it to your sales team. Your your very ads build out your brand, right? Your ads, even if the end goal is to get a lead, is building out your brand. So you want to be cool in your space. You want to be different in your space. You want your ads to pop, you know, and you're going to only be able to do that if the technology you use, the ad strategy you use, the imagery you use, the video content you use is, you know, really exciting and pops and is different and is not like everyone else is doing. Um, you know, as, as my niece would say, it's not so six months ago. Like it's, it's today, <laughs> it's, it's tomorrow. Actually, we're, we're testing tools that are really are going to be out there for everybody in six months, but we're getting to play with them right now. So I love that. It, it, which is interesting. I was speaking to um, a mutual friend is real Ratso, and he was saying, you know, if you go to school for social media management, it's really hard to teach social media management because potentially in four years after you graduate, the platforms or the tools that you can be taught are going to be very different. Yes, very much so. Um, You know, the Facebook that I knew about in 2006 is a completely different animal today, you know. Um, I was very fortunate, like back in the day, there was no course to take. We've actually taught courses online courses in this vein, but you're right, like you're, it's only relevant for about six months. So really you're gonna to have to go back to school and like do it all over again, or you do what everybody else does and you just make sure you're beta testing and you're reading and you're going to conferences and you're making sure you're on top of your game. Um, and that's a very significant part of my job. You know, it's, it's making sure that I'm leveraging the coolest technologies that are out there, not just cool for the cool factor, but like effective technologies. Cause there's a lot of things that look really exciting and end up being useless. You know, we were talking about AI earlier, you know, this whole idea about natural conversation in, in bots. 
So these intelligent bots are now collecting data about conversation usage so they can already infer what a user is going to be asking next. You know, that type of technology completely changes the communication landscape. Um, it's, it's quite amazing. So that, you know, that gets me up every morning. Uh, and that makes me sometimes go cry every night. So that's good. That's true. It's, me too. It's, it's, it's both of the same thing. Right, right. Uh, it's like the Jack Moss slash Elon Musk conversation about the AI that they had. Uh, at question, the last two questions here. Uh, one is I totally understand if you can't or don't want to share, but uh, one of the things that we see as entrepreneurs, one of the biggest struggles is uh, family life, right? Family balance, work-life balance, how to get your spouse on board during the difficult times, how do you basically... Um, create an, a home that's structured well. Any advice, anything that you say this has really worked well for us, or this is what we're A-B testing uh, that, you know, I learned through my experience, this is really important in order to be able to have a marriage that's thriving and growing. And it's a fair or a question. relationship. It's a good question. Um, and one that I'm still struggling with today, and I've been in business for so much, you know, for, you know, 25 years. But I, there are a few things that do... Help. I was talking about the business of marriage. The business of marriage and the business of business. Yeah. Yes, both. Um, we're actually going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage next July. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, so I'm very blessed because my husband is uh, my biggest fan and supporter. Um, and because of that, um, I've sort of, you know, feel secure in my ability to take on a role as a CEO because that means sometimes I'm going to be home very late and sometimes that means I'm getting up early and um, you know and if I didn't have his support it could add a lot of frustration and challenge into a marriage not everybody wants to have a wife who works a 10 or 12 hour day or a mom who works a 10 or 12 hour day I'll be really honest when my children were younger I didn't work like I work now, it's only because I'm at the place I am in my life today that I have that ability. My kids are much bigger now. Um, some of them are adults. One is married, um, so I have that flexibility. When I was younger, you it's know, funny. I, I have a six-year-old who thinks that she's an adult too. So right, uh... I had a few of those. You know, <laughs> you mean, or they thought they were teenagers anyway. Um, yeah, but it's also about you know making sure that you do make time for all the important people in your life. In that case, it's my husband and my kids, and making sure that the time that we do have together is very, very meaningful. And, um, you know, does that mean to say it's perfect? Absolutely not. And, you know, like, except for Friday, my house is pretty much a mess. You know, I, I say, you know, if you need a meal made, don't, don't call me. I'm not the one who's going to make a meal for you. I can raise funds for a project. I can help coordinate a project. Like, that's something you're good, good at. I can do that, too. But if I can fit it into my business day, but I, I don't even have time to cook a proper meal for my own family during the week, so certainly don't ask me to cook one for you. Okay. So That's the truth. How does laundry get done in yeah. your house 10 years ago? Yeah, today it's better because everybody, people want clean clothes, can you imagine? So my, you know, my kids, you know, do their own laundry yeah. or they help support the laundry system. But, you know, when we were, when the kids were little, my husband and I dealt with mounds and mounds and mountains of laundry, you know, like we have five kids. Um, we're very fortunate, and that generated a lot of laundry. So, yeah. Interesting. And and meals. How did the how does food work? So how does food so work? everybody takes a turn at my house. I have, but again, when my kids were younger, 
I, I would work a three-quarter day, so I would come home and I either my husband or I would cook. Um, now, my husband actually does a lot of the cooking, and my older kids do a lot of the cooking, and I do the cooking on Shabbat, you know, for Arab Shabbat. It's my job uh, with everyone's help. Even my 14-year-old son makes a wicked potato kugel. Nice. Uh, everybody helps, and everybody helps with the cleaning too, so it gets done. Uh, but during the week, you know, sometimes it's shawarma, and sometimes it's pizza, and that's okay. And I'm not ashamed of it. It's okay. Right. Uh, is there any other, um, you know, because I think we covered two things, which are the biggest challenges. I think one is community, and that's Ramah B'Shemesh and the importance of, for you guys, it was finding a community of Olim, and also people supporting you as you were initially going through, which is so, so important. So yeah. And two is in terms of the other challenges financially, you know, people are facing when they go to Aliyah. You initially worked for somebody, game, and then you started basically your own business when also you were, it seems like also less responsibility at home partially. Was, you know, that was also one of the things that was nicer about it as well. So you, know, you were in a position where you could do a little bit less at home so you could also start the business as well. The timing was a little better. True, actually. It was a little bit crazy at the beginning because our company was in our house, even at the very, oh very beginning. Um, you know how uh, tech companies talk about in how the they started in the garage? So we started in my mamad, uh-huh. um, my safe room, and um, at one point we had six people squished into my mamad. Um, of course, we moved that year into the space. We actually were fortunate enough to be able to buy the space and and um, that now it's our new headquarters. Uh, but at that time, you know, there was like no boardroom. And uh, if you wanted to make a private call, it was in the bathroom. I'm not kidding. We have jokes in the office because some of my staff were with me at that time when we needed to have like a big important call with a big company in the U.S. or Canada. They had no idea that it was in my living room, right? We would literally go into a bathroom, shut the door and have the call if we wanted privacy. It was that crazy. It kind of reminds us of the WeWork booths. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there was a concept. toilet in there and a sink, but so you hey. you can do both things at once if things are right. that's efficiency. It was efficient. And look, our beginnings were certainly not glamorous, but it had afforded us to grow. And, you know, the best advice I ever got was from a very successful businessman in Toronto who said, um, when you think you have to, you know, spend money on something like office space or whatever, Wait until the last possible moment, until you can't stand it anymore, and then move. Because otherwise, you know, that those funds could be used for other critical things like hiring an important person in the, in the office, you know, that you need to help to, you know, build out your team. So that's what we did. We put all the money into our team, and until it got to a point that it was so kooky that we couldn't stand it How anymore. How many people can be in the bathtub making a phone call? Exactly. Not that many. Um, so, yeah. So here we are today. Amazing. Yeah. Is there any last piece of advice that you think is just really important for Olim entrepreneurs or individuals or Olim who are thinking about starting a business here that they should just keep in mind? Be open to opportunities. Right. You know, people come to Israel with uh, this idea that they're going to work in this field and they're going to do this. And then they make Aliyah and like those jobs don't exist and they have to be completely flexible. So keep yourself open to opportunities. The opportunities will arise. Network. You know, go out there, talk to people who are in verticals that you're interested in, um, you know, um, do some volunteer work, honestly, um, for companies that you're excited about. Get in the door in some way, even if it's really you 
going and doing work for free at the beginning. Hook up with all the cool networking groups that are out there. Um, there's loads of English ones, so you don't even have to be intimidated. And even all the Israeli ones, everybody speaks English anyway, so yeah. you're super safe. Are there two groups that keep in mind for sure that you found to be really helpful? There's none specifically. I would say if you're a woman business owner, it's good to hook up with other women business owners because there's like a second level of support of just simply understanding what it's like to be, to wear many hats, you know, although, you know, there's things are changing in that landscape too, but I just find that to be important. What I have done, and that's been really helpful for me, is I've created a lot of really wonderful strategic partnerships. Mm. Oh, thank you for pointing that. And yeah. um, so those colleagues are people who work in parallel industries to me, but they're, I actually handpick those people. They're my friends. They're not just business associates. They're friends. And we do a lot of work together to support each other and to introduce each other to our networks and to expose each other to opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. So for example... I'm so not a Tel Aviv girl, I'm a Jerusalem girl, but my Tel Aviv friends are introducing me to their Tel Aviv friends, and I can then introduce them to my Jerusalem friends, because uh, those communities don't always talk. Can you, can just, sorry, but can you explain uh, what a strategic partnership would look like for a digital lead firm, just uh, where sure. you're not compete, because well, isn't there a competition element of that? Where is the partnership that, that's a win-win? First of all, I, I truly believe that my uh, Parnassa has already been uh, decided upon uh, from the powers that above, okay? So I don't even, I even am so good at helping my direct competitors too. I don't have a problem uh, helping a direct competitor. But in terms of like real, the strategic partners that also bring me business, um, so those are people that uh, work either in um, similar industries to mine. For example, a PR firm, we talked about PR. So I, many of my clients need PR services um, as, a, as a really nice addition to the digital marketing that we're doing. So I have a whole bunch of great um, strategic partners in the um, PR space. Um, you know, my first uh, passion is, is lead generation. So I don't like spending a lot of time doing web design work or branding work. It's not really what we do and that we're not experts in that. So I love to turn to those people that are unbelievable and outstanding in those areas. So those are great strategic partners, digital marketing, um, I'm sorry, branding companies and uh, website designers. And, um, and um, it could also be people, because I'm in the lead generation space, it could be people in the call center space. There's a whole bunch of opportunities out there. So you just have to think as a business owner, who could be wonderful strategic partners that can help me complement the services I already offer, that can help to open up doors for me, and that I can legitimately do the same thing for that person as well, because it's totally synergistic. And then I add another layer on top of that, because for me, it's not just about business. I really want to like the person. I want to trust them. I want to make sure they're not only are they great at what they do, but that they're just really nice people that I can, you know, I can, you know, have faith in and in supporting each other. So there's that whole added dimension there. Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it. I learned so much from this conversation. Thank great. you so, My so much. My pleasure. You're listening to Ascending, the Olim Entrepreneurship Playbook, hosted by Alex Shandrovsky and Alev from San Francisco. Aliyah demands leaving the familiar, taking risks and venturing towards the unknown. This podcast is a map that deconstructs the mindset and habits of Israel's most successful Alim. 